Um, if you would like to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, at page 635 in the church Bibles. Um, last time I got up, I said that we had reached the end of the I am statements, and then William preached another I am statement, so it's going to look like I'm the only one out of joint uh, whenever we do sermons, but hopefully over the next wee while, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, little bits in Proverbs whenever I'm preaching, and we'll just be dipping in and out of the book um, instead of having a, a normal series going on over the summer, just going to be dipping in and out. So I thought Proverbs would be a really good place for us to jump in, um, and Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just going to read the prologue to it, which is the introduction to the book. So let, let's hear God speak to us through his holy and inerrant word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wit knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Amen. I know a minister saying that he's got a favorite book of the Bible is kind of like a parent saying they've got a favorite child. Um, you're not meant to have one, but on some days you do. And if you're to ask me what my favorite book in the Old Testament is, it is, if you were to twist my arm, I would say the book of Proverbs. And I think the reason why I really like it is because I, I, I've, I've had a very complicated relationship with this book. I remember growing up what I thought this book was, and I thought it was a bunch of wee sayings. And um, I was bought a gift one time, a, a little calendar for my desk, and each day there was a proverb, you know, a little wise saying, and we would dip in it and out of it like that. And I think often whenever we approach this book, that's the way we think about it. Lots of little nuggets and tidbits of wisdom that we grab and we dip in and out of. But whenever we do that, we miss the big picture. Because what Proverbs is trying to do is not just give us a little nugget or a wee catchphrase, but it is trying to change the way you think as a Christian. And it is trying to do that with the wonderful invitation, which is to get wisdom. I imagine if you walked into any Christian bookshop, you will find lots of books on how to learn more about a certain doctrine, or how to learn about church history, how to get better at charity, how to become more prudent with something. But you will find very few books on how to become wise. And yet that is one of the most fundamental things to being a believer in the Old Testament, becoming wise. And this is becoming more and more important because not only do we get bits of wisdom from Proverbs, but there's also lots of little Proverbs in the world around us. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. A stitch in time saves nine. And even some that are seemingly innocuous, but are selling a much wider worldview with them, such as um, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Little nuggets that our, our culture will rhyme off as wisdom and yet never fully examine to see if they're truly wise. In fact, that little one, be true to yourself, um, you'll maybe know the older version of it, which is to thine own self be true. Does anybody know where it's from? 
I didn't either. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I read this in another book that was using this as an example, so I haven't read it. But it's from Hamlet, before you think I'm a lot better read than I actually am. And it arises in Hamlet whenever Polonius um, is sending off his son, and he's kind of fussing around him as Polonius, or Polonius' son is heading off to the big city. And he rhymes off all this wisdom. And the last one is, above, above all else, to thine own self be true. And the reason I say that is because the great irony is that in Hamlet, Polonius is not somebody of wisdom, but he is the fool of the play. He's the advisor to the, um, the antagonist, Claudius, and every bit of wisdom and advice that he gives is deemed foolish, inappropriate, and lacking foresight. He is the fool of the play that you're meant to laugh at, and he rhymes off what our culture sees as a nugget of wisdom. And that is why we need this book. Because we live in a culture that will claim wisdom without realizing that it comes from the mouth of a fool. And so whenever we dive into this book, it is an invitation for us to become wise, for us to become wise, in a world that is increasingly in need of wisdom. Now, I just want to look at it in three different ways this morning. just want to see what wisdom is, why it's important, and how we get it. What it is, why it's important, and, and, and how we get it. So, so what is it? What is wisdom? I once heard wisdom described as, um, you know, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. And that's kind of the idea of wisdom. Wisdom is not against getting to know more things. It is not anti-intellectualism. It is not anti-growing in knowledge. But it's more than that. Because we all know of people, and you don't need to say who, uh, who this might be, but we will all know of people who are very well read, and then you put them into a normal everyday situation, and they are useless. My lasting memory of this is whenever I was a teenager, um, I remember I used to work for my dad and he ran a small digger company and we were building a lorry yard for somebody. And there was me and another fellow who was a longtime friend of the family who has been driving diggers longer than I have been alive. And this young engineer came onto the site fresh out of university, still wearing dress shoes whilst walking across the mucky ground. And as you can imagine what all the builders on site were thinking, we can't wait to get into him. And he began to explain with his great knowledge and his great insight how we were going to go about extending this lorry yard in a very confusing and complicated and overly technical way. To which point, a friend of mine took a long pull on his pipe and just said, tell me this, are you one of these boys who went to university to learn how to be stupid? And suddenly, the wind was out of his sails. Because what was the issue? He had all of the knowledge, but he had none of the wisdom. None of the wisdom. Because wisdom is knowing that sometimes having the right answer is not enough. You've got to know the wider things as well. Wisdom is knowing that life is messy. Life is, is complicated. That there are times whenever the rules don't apply. There are times whenever things are, are messy and we need to find and muddle our way through them. So which one of it is it? Does many cooks spoil the broth? 
Or do many hands make light work? Which one is it? What's your answer? It depends. Or if we were to even take one of the Proverbs itself, and people will often say that the book of Proverbs contradicts itself, but this is one of the great things that wisdom's trying to get at, is that there are times when doing the right thing is doing the opposite. So in two verses, back to back, Proverbs 26, verses four and five, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So you see what it's saying there? Right beside each other in the Bible, it's saying, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Don't be foolish like him and try to correct him, or else you'll just look as foolish as he is. And in the very next verse, we'll say, answer a fool according to his folly, because he needs to know that he's wrong. So when do you correct somebody whenever they're wrong? It depends. It's probably not a great idea to try and, cor and correct your mother's cooking uh, in, in a kitchen on a Sunday afternoon. It's maybe better to try and correct a, a friend or a colleague at work who's about to make a big mistake. But it's wisdom is knowing the difference between those two things. And wisdom's not just about knowing the right thing either. If you look down with me, this book is for for understanding and for gaining insight. It's for growing in knowledge. Don't get me wrong. Knowledge is important to becoming wise. That's why it says it in verse two, that you might gain understanding from these words. But we also see in verse three that wisdom, and this book is written so that you would know what is right and just and fair. Because it's, it's impossible to be wise without also being good. It's impossible to be wise without also being good. You do, if, you, if I were to ask you, name me somebody who you think is wise, you would not name me somebody who is wicked. You would name me somebody who is good and prudent, who is, as we see in the words of Solomon, just and fair and right. But we also know that wisdom is far more than doing what is good. It is impossible to be wise without being good but it is possible to be good without being wise. We all know of somebody who we say, oh dear, love them. They had the best of intentions. And then we proceed to say how they made a bad situation even worse. Because it is possible to be good and yet foolish. And wisdom is knowing the difference between the two. So what is wisdom? I think one of the best summaries I heard or I read this past week was from Derek Kidner, who said that wisdom is godliness in workmen's clothes. Wisdom is godliness in workmen's clothes. The difference between good and being wise, from being smart and being wise, is that you know how to live out your faith in the midst of an increasingly complex and compromised world, to be wise in a world that's trying to be foolish. Wisdom is knowing what to do when your faith hits the road. Whenever you suddenly are faced with the realities of life around you and it's not quite as simple as you thought. Wisdom is knowing what to do if you were living in Nazi Germany and the Gestapo rap on your door and ask, are you hiding Jews? 
It's the wisdom of knowing, do you tell them or do you not? Wisdom is knowing what to do in the complexities and the hardship of life whenever the rules don't quite seem to cut it. Because here is why we need wisdom. We live in a world that increasingly wants to legislate and create laws and rules for what only wisdom can produce. Because wisdom is concerned with showing you where the rules fall short. The reason why we have the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and arguably the book of James as well to teach us wisdom is because there will be points in your life where you will be called to do things that you cannot find a rule for in the Bible. What do you do in those moments? You need to be wise. You need to be wise. Wisdom is knowing the complexities of life, putting your faith into workman's clothes. So why is it important? Why is it important? Wisdom is important because it is the difference between living by the law and living by the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that it is very, very easy to follow the rules. My wife hates games where you have to use your imagination. Um, so like Dungeons and Dragons and those games where you have to go off and build something. She's like, no, just tell me the rules of how it's meant to follow. Because that's simple to her. She likes that. Following the rules is great, isn't it? Because whenever you follow the rules, you just follow the rules and they carry you away. You don't need to think too much about it. And yet... Whenever we get into the real life, we know that it's more than just following the rules. And yet, if you look at other religions, you will see that their main focus is following rules. So if you look into Islam, you will see that rather than having a tradition of theological discussion, they will have a much stronger tradition of, of, legal, of legal scholars and judges working out what is the right and the wrong thing to do because their primary concern is, how do you know you're right with God? You follow the rules, so let's make sure we know the rules. It's the same in Judaism. A rabbi is primarily concerned, and their main topic of study is not necessarily theology, so that they may talk about who God is, but it's primarily dealing with, with Jewish uh, religious law. And even if you look at the world around us, how, how many times in the past five years have you heard a news story about the Supreme Court in either here or America, compared with the last 15 prior to that. Whenever we do not have wisdom, whenever we do not have gospel, we follow the rules because we feel if we follow the rules, we'll get what we want. But that is not the gospel. And that is not what this book is trying to get you to do. Because you can be a foolish person and follow the rules. You can be a wicked person and follow the rules. But the gospel takes that and changes it on its head. Because if you look down with me, what this book is concerned with is not getting you to just follow rules, but it's getting you to be prudent to those who are simple, for you to grow in knowledge and discretion, for you to become wise. It's not about changing your behavior. It's about changing you. That is why this book is written. Not to change your behavior, but to change you. And only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can do that sort of change that is required. 
Otherwise, we are just following rules. We believe something really wonderful as Presbyterians about God's law and the rules that we read in the Bible. It's called the threefold use of the law. And I know so many of you were so excited to hear me talk about the threefold use of the law this morning in church. You're like, oh, I hope he mentions it. One of the things we believe as Presbyterians is that the rules that we read in the Bible, like the Ten Commandments, have three purposes. They have civil purpose, which was for whenever the kingdom of Israel was a civil institution and an actual kingdom, and it was the laws that would govern the nation. It has an educational purpose to show us how we might not measure up to the law and how we are sinful and in need of God's forgiveness. And finally, and this is the special one that we believe, we believe that God's law was written that you might know what God delights in. What God delights in. When we live our lives as Christians, we are not following the rules for rule following sake but we are trying to do that which our God may delight in. And that is a very different question in your, in your work week, isn't it? It is not a question of what do you do, it is a question of who you are. And this is a distinctly Christian phenomenon. There was an Oxford uh, philosopher called Larry Seidentop, he wrote a book a few years ago called The Invention of Liberalism. And he argues that This whole idea about it matters who you are, not what you do, is a distinctly Christian thing. His words were, Christianity changes the name of the game. Why? Because it comes about who you are, not what you do. So whenever you are in a messy situation at work tomorrow morning, and you don't know what to do, there's no rule about it in the Bible, the question to ask is not what do I do, but it's who am I becoming when I do this? Am I becoming the sort of person my God will delight in? Because that's a very different question, but that is what wisdom's driving at. Not trying to get you to follow a rule in case the cane comes down as punishment, but rather molding you into the sort of person that God's delight may be basked in more and more and more. He's calling you not just to follow the rules. He's calling you to be wise and to be transformed by seeing the love and delight he has for you. This is why we as Christians talk so much about the cross. Because in the cross, what we see is the moment of God's exploding love into the world. Where we see that even whenever we fail, even whenever we break the rules, even whenever we sin, He still sent his son regardless, knowing that we would do all that we would do, knowing that we would say all we would say, knowing that we would have all the sinful thoughts that we would have, knowing we would do all the sinful things that we would do. And he sent him anyway. Why? Because it brought him delight and joy to do so. And so whenever we live our lives, we do not live our lives thinking, I can't break the rules again or else God won't forgive me. Rather, we we follow the things that we think our Father in heaven will delight in. Because that is wisdom. It is not law. It's gospel. Because it is not about breaking the rules or following the rules, but it is about delighting in our Father in heaven. So finally, how do we get wisdom? How do we get it? If you look down with me at verse 7, it is what is in many ways the catchphrase of this book of the Bible. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is the heartbeat that runs through Proverbs that appears time and time again. So what does it mean to fear God? It does not mean to be afraid. There was an old writer, Charles Bridges, who he wrote it this way, and I thought it was wonderful. He said, it is an affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law, his wrath so bitter, but his love so sweet. What does it mean to be wise and to get wisdom? It means to live knowing that there is a Father in heaven who is not waiting for you to trip up so that he can throw the book at you, but is wanting to delight in you as you live a life that is wise and godly and example. This is the wonderful thing we believe as Christians that even whenever we get into the messiness that is the trenches of adult life, we are not bound to simply have to follow the big long list of rules, but we live knowing we have a Father in heaven who delights in us and is calling us not to be rule followers, but to be wise and godly, wise and godly, as we look to him all the more as the source of our goodness and our righteousness and our truth. There's a great writer, Jen Wilkin, who said that, you know, if we focus on our actions without addressing our hearts, we may end up merely as better behaved lovers of the self. And the invitation to fear the Lord to get wisdom is to realize that we need transformed, not outwardly in our behavior, but inwardly in our hearts. And it's only from there do we really become wise. And so what do we do? We turn to him and we say, change me, change me. Come and see what he can do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this wonderful book of the Bible to teach us wisdom and instruction and prudence. Lord, Help us to be wise as Christians and help us to live lives that seek to delight in you. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.